Well, please then, if you have a Bible, if you'd like to have it open in front of you at that passage we read, 2 Corinthians and chapter 3. And this evening, we're going to be focusing on the uh, the final paragraph, the final section of that chapter, really from verse 12 to verse 18. Now, if you remember in this uh, this uh, chapter, in this, this whole letter, really, uh, Paul is writing to defend himself, to defend his ministry. As we've, we've thought, haven't we, the, these Christians in Corinth, uh, they've allowed the, uh, the standards, the, uh, the thinking of the society around them to dictate what is important in the church. Uh, the society around them um, says that you need leaders who are, who are charismatic, who are successful, who are, who are popular. You need men who can convince the society around them, convince people to listen to them, by, by using big words and clever arguments, impressive sounding speeches. Well, Paul knew he didn't need any of those things. Paul didn't care whether the society in Corinth, whether the culture of Corinth approved of him and of his message. Paul knew he had the most, uh, most wonderful, the most glorious role imaginable. He is a representative of Jesus Christ. He's been entrusted to preach his gospel. So what made Paul sufficient for that task? It's not his own abilities. It's not his own intellect. It's not his own skills. It's not his own natural charm or charisma. It wasn't the clever arguments that he could come up with. It was the new covenant. That's what we've seen uh, through this chapter. And that Paul's confidence, Paul's sufficiency, it lies in the new covenant that God has made with his people. This wonderful gospel of grace. The good news that guilty sinners can be forgiven, can be made righteous because the saviour that God promised to send has come. At the start of the chapter that we saw this morning, Paul shows us there some evidence for the new covenant. And Paul can look back, can't he, in his own, his own life to a time when he was a, a zealous Jew, zealous for that old covenant, zealous for the law. And that led him to, to hate Gentiles, to hate Christians, to hate the Lord Jesus, so much so that he actively persecuted them. He had those blaspheming dogs thrown into prison or even put to death if he could. But now, Paul has this deep, heartfelt, unbreakable love for these these Gentile Christians. And it's obvious to everyone that he meets. So what is it that's brought about this, this huge change, this miraculous change in this man, Paul? Well, the only explanation is that the new covenant has come before Paul wasn't able to to keep that that external command to love. But God has changed Paul's heart. God has written his law, not on tablets of stone, but he's written it on Paul's heart. So now Paul is able to love, even to love those who formerly were his enemies. The new covenant that God has uh, promised to make, it's here. That's the evidence for it is here. But Paul also described himself as a as a minister of the new covenant. That word minister, it just means a a servant. 
Paul's sufficiency doesn't come from himself. It comes from the great master that he serves. He is a minister, a servant of the new covenant. And then this morning we saw those great contrasts that Paul makes to show us the glory of the new covenant. And we saw just how glorious this new covenant is. And Paul contrasted the results of the two covenants. The old covenant he calls a ministry of death. Because each of us has sinful hearts, because we can't keep God's commandments. Well, signing up to that old covenant, it was a guaranteed death sentence. We couldn't keep the requirements of that law. But the new covenant, the new covenant is called the ministry of the spirit and the spirit gives life. In the new covenant, God, by his grace, by his spirit, he does it all. It's a, it's a covenant of grace ministered by the spirit himself. And then Paul contrasted the judgments of the two covenants. The old covenant is a ministry of condemnation. If you're hoping to be judged based on your own ability to keep the law, well, you will be condemned. You will be found guilty because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But the new covenant is a ministry of righteousness. And with the new covenant, a new righteousness has appeared. Not one based on our ability to keep the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Where? For those who believe... The righteousness of Christ, his perfect obedience, that is credited to our account. And then thirdly, Paul contrasted the duration of the two covenants. The old covenant is temporary. The old covenant is, is passing away. It's being brought to an end. But the new covenant, it is eternal. It is permanent. And the blessings of the new covenant, they're given to us unconditionally. It is all of grace. It is all God's doing. And so because it's all of God's doing, those blessings, those promises can never be forfeited. They can never be lost. They will go on forever. Well, just a quick resume of, of this morning. Hopefully you can see there how Paul draws out, doesn't he? Just how much more glorious this, uh, this new covenant is and what a, what a hope we have. So let's thank God for this new covenant. The fact that we that we have any hope, it's uh, it's all of grace, isn't it? It's all it's all of, of God's doing. And remember, what have we been saved from? We've been, been saved from sin, from death, from condemnation. And let's revel in the, the wonder of the, the grace, the righteousness, the riches of this this glorious new covenant. And then let's share Paul's boldness, Paul's confidence, not in ourselves, but as we see the glory and the power of the new covenant. Let's remember, we, we have a message that can change lives. We've seen that evidence, haven't we, in, in Paul's own life, in his own experience. And, and we've experienced it ourselves. If we're believers, we've experienced ourselves, haven't we? The power of this new covenant to change our lives. So we don't need to worry about what the world thinks, whether we're thought popular or, or cool or trendy or whatever it is. We don't need to worry about trying to attract the right people, whether we've got the right image. May we never be ashamed 
of the, the plain, simple, unadorned gospel message. Because it is the power of God. The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So hopefully we can say with Paul, as he says in verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So that brings us then into this, this final section of this passage, verses 12 to 18. That's what we're going to be looking at this evening. And what I want to draw out from these verses is the impact of the new covenant, the impact of the new covenant. And there's our, our first impact already, isn't it, from everything that Paul has said already. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So we're going to look at the, the rest of this passage uh, under three headings. And our first heading tonight is Moses' veil. Moses' veil. Because in verse 13, uh, Paul draws out there another contrast uh, between these covenants. Paul says, we are very bold, not like Moses. Now, Moses, he was the, uh, the chief minister of the old covenant. But Paul says the new covenant, it gives us a boldness that Moses never had. We are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Now, that's the uh, the ESV translation. That's the translation uh, that I'm, I've been using, but it perhaps isn't the clearest um, translation, I don't think. Um, some of you may have the uh, the NIV. I think that is is slightly clearer. The NIV has this. It says, Moses put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. He put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So what is what is Paul talking about here? Now, Moses, as the, uh, the minister of that old covenant, he was the one who wasn't he who went up Mount Sinai. He went up to meet with God, to speak with God face to face, to receive the, the law, the commandments from God so that he could then pass them on to the people. And when Moses came down from the mountain, as he left the, the presence of God, as he came back down the mountain, his face shone with glory. It, uh, it reflected the glory of the God that he'd been speaking with. But Paul reminds us here in this passage that Moses used to then put a veil over his face to, to cover up, to cover over his shining face. So the important question for us to answer is, well, why did Moses do that? Why did Moses veil his face? I've often heard it suggested, and I'm sure you have have too, that Moses, he veiled his face so that the Israelites wouldn't be too dazzled uh, by, by, by its, its, its glory, by its, its shining. Uh, Paul has said, hasn't he, uh, earlier in the passage, that the old covenant did come with glory, with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. So that this, the idea goes, Moses veiled his face, he covered over his face to cover over the glory and um, to make it more bearable 
uh, for them, more more comfortable, if you like, for the people, so that the people could look at him uh, whilst he spoke to them. But is that what actually happened? Well, let's have a look at the passage in question. Um, it's Exodus 34. Um, you can you can turn to the passage if you wish, but you, you don't need to. Uh, it's Exodus 34, and uh, the bit that we're interested in begins in verse 29. So Exodus 34 and verse 29. Now, at this point in the story, uh, Moses has spent 40 days on Mount Sinai, up at the top of the mountain, in the presence of God. Uh, receiving all the all the laws and all the commandments that God wants him to pass on. But then we read in, in verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the, the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So when Moses comes down from the mountain, his, his face is, is shining with the reflected glory of God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. So all the people, Moses comes down the mountain, all the people see Moses shining face. And because his face is shining, the people of Israel are afraid to approach him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. So all the people that Moses calls them to him, they come near to Moses and he passes on to them everything that God had commanded to him on the mountain. And then verse 33 is really key. It's that says, says to us there. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So Moses speaks to the people with his face unveiled so that they can see his face shining so that they will be dazzled. So they will be fully aware of the glory of the God that they are making a covenant with. And it's only once Moses has finished speaking to the people that then he puts the veil over his face. The passage then goes on. If you pick it up in verse 34, whenever Moses went in, in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. When he came out, he told the people of Israel what was commanded and the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses face was shining. And then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So hopefully you can see from this passage in, in Exodus 34 that when Moses spoke God's word to the people, when he was representing God to the people and passing on the commandments of the Lord, he had his face unveiled so that they could see his face shining. And it was only once he had finished speaking with them that he would then veil his face again. And he would only unveil his face again when he went back into the tent of meeting to speak with God. Then with his face unveiled, he would pass on God's word to the people. 
And then when he'd finished speaking, he would veil his face again. And, and so it goes on. So the passage in Exodus tells us when Moses veiled his face, but it doesn't tell us why Moses veiled his face. And so we have to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There Paul gives us the reason. It was to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. It was to conceal the fact that the glory shining from Moses' face kept fading. It wasn't permanent. It was being brought to an end. So why didn't God want the Israelites to see the, the glory uh, shining from Moses' face fading? Was this God being, being a bit sneaky? Was he trying to, to deceive the Israelites? No, of course not. We've already seen, if you look, we read the passage, you'll see just how open, how honest God is with the people, how clear he is with the people about the terms of the covenant. There's no uh, shady shenanigans going on here. Now, it is a, a complex question. Uh, we don't have time to, to fully develop that uh, this evening. But it links in with God's God's full commitment to do everything he possibly could from his side to make that old covenant work. To make it clear that when it failed, which it inevitably would, that no blame could be attached to God. Now imagine if the Israelites had have seen the glory in Moses' face uh, fading away. Well, they may well have been tempted to think, well, there's no point trying to, to keep these laws. If, it, if it's all passing away, there's no point in us in us committing to this. But once those Israelites had signed up to that covenant, God wanted to make sure there was nothing that might deter them, that might discourage them from really trying their best to keep it. So as I say, when it inevitably failed, all the blame would lie with them. It would be obvious that it was it was their sinfulness, their sinful hearts would be would be exposed. But coming back to our, our passage again, back to 2 Corinthians, in, in verse 14, Paul says there that the real reason the Israelites couldn't see that the, the glory of that old covenant was fading, it wasn't because of any uh, sneaky shenanigans by God. It wasn't because um, because just because of this veil over Moses' face. In verse 14, he says there, their minds were hardened. It wasn't that the, the fading glory was so well concealed that, that there was no way that anyone could see. Plenty of people in the Old Testament did see that the Old Covenant couldn't work, that it wouldn't work. Moses himself saw that it would never work. He, he says so plainly to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 31, right towards the end of his life, Moses is, uh, is about to die. And he says to the people of Israel, I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. The real reason the majority of those people couldn't see the fading glory 
is because their minds were hardened. They were just incapable of understanding that truth. They had sinful hearts, incapable of keeping all of God's commands. But as we thought this morning, they also had deceitful hearts, which made them think that they could. So the glory of the old covenant was being brought to an end. It was fading away. But Moses' veil concealed that fact. It prevented the majority of the Israelites from seeing and understanding that truth. So that's Moses' veil. But moving on now to our second heading, we see that the veil remains. If you look at the rest of verse 14, Paul says there, to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Now, we can read the words of Moses today, can't we? We can read uh, the words uh, of the Old Covenant. Moses is still speaking even today. But when people read the words of Moses today, for most people, it's as if the veil is still over his face. People still can't see that the glory of that Old Covenant is fading away. In fact, Paul has said in, in verse 10, that now now the, the old covenant has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Now that the new covenant has come, Moses' face isn't shining at all. But because it's still veiled, people can't see. There is only one way that that veil can be taken away, and that is through Christ Because as Paul says in in verse 15, in reality, the veil isn't over Moses' face. It's over our hearts. Yes, to this day, says Paul, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. By nature, we all have proud, hard, sinful, unclean, unbelieving hearts. But that fact is concealed even to ourselves because our hearts are deceitful. It's as if there's a there's a veil over our hearts preventing us from seeing the reality, from seeing the truth. Or maybe there's someone listening uh, tonight who's in that that position, who's thinking that they can be good enough to earn their place in heaven. Well, Paul says, God says You are deceiving yourselves. In fact, your own heart is deceiving you. What you need to do is to ask God to remove the veil that lies over your heart. To ask God to show you what you are really like. Don't try to explain away all the wrong things that you've done. Understand that we do bad things because we have bad hearts. We sin because we are sinners. But know that that veil can be removed. And so that brings us to our third heading. And that's the impact of the new covenant. That's what, that's what this passage has all been, has all been leading up to. The impact of the new covenant. And we've got four ways in which this impact is seen. And the first impact is is an obvious one. The veil is removed. In verse 16, Paul says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
when a sinner turns to the Lord, they begin to see clearly. That veil is removed from their heart so that they can see their sinfulness, so that they can start to to understand the the extent of the corruption, the filth, the guilt, the, the shame and darkness that is in the human heart. And the veil is removed from Moses' face. They see that the glory of the old covenant has faded, that a a conditional covenant, one that relies on, on me keeping God's laws, isn't going to save me. Instead, we start to see the true glory, the lasting glory, the surpassing glory of the the new covenant. The wonder of, of full and free salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and and his death upon the cross. So how does this happen? How can that veil be taken away? Well, Paul has already said in, in verse 14, it is only through Christ that it is taken away. To, to turn to the Lord means to, to see Jesus, to realize the importance of Jesus, the significance of Jesus, to understand who he is, to understand what he has done, to see that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and to see that that all the glory of the new covenant is all bound up, it's all found in Christ. Think of of Paul, or back when when he was Saul, he's uh, traveling on the road to Damascus, isn't he? When he had that encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. It was was only at that point that Saul realized who Jesus is. Here's this, this man that he thought was dead, is alive. He's, he's risen from the dead and he's shining with all the glory of God. When Paul sees that the, the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, this man that he thought was dead is, is there before him, shining with all the glory of God. He saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The veil had been taken away from his heart. And when we we say we need to see Jesus, we don't mean physically uh, with our eyes in the the way that Paul did. I'm not talking about people having visions of Jesus or anything like that. Verse 17, Paul says, the Lord is the spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. That's what Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthians. It's it's God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. We see Jesus in the sense that we we understand him. We we comprehend. We believe in him. We see Jesus with the eye of faith. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so that brings us to our second impact, uh, the second impact of the new covenant. And that is freedom. Look again at at verse 17. We're told there, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now again and again, the Bible describes the law as slavery. In Galatians in chapter three, uh, Paul wrote there, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law 
imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The uh, the law, the uh, the old covenant, it it offered blessing, but only through keeping the law. The very thing that we can't do, that the law is that is the one thing that's stopping us from from receiving that blessing. Our own sinful hearts prevent us from from breaking free of the bondage to the law because our sinful hearts mean we're incapable of keeping the law. But the new covenant brings freedom, not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. Under the new covenant, the the burden of our guilt is, is taken away. We're no longer stuck trying and failing to keep the law, trying to earn God's favour by ourselves. The law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The, The burden of the law, the penalty of the law has been taken away. Because Jesus has kept the law for us. He's he's done what we can't do. And so for all those who trust in him, he sends us his spirit to come and dwell within us. And his spirit gives us the power we need to begin to keep God's law. We find that we, we actually want to keep God's law. And more than that, day by day, bit by bit, we find that we actually can keep God's law. We are no longer slaves to sin. The new covenant brings freedom. And then our third impact, transformation. And here we're we're into our final verse, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Well, the first thing to, to note in this verse is that Paul is talking about every believer. Paul says, we all, all of us with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord. As we've seen with the, the old covenant, Moses was allowed to behold the glory of the Lord with with unveiled face. But under the old covenant, it was only Moses who could do that. Only Moses was allowed to go right to the top of of Mount Sinai and speak to God face to face. The rest of the people, they, they had to stay back, stay away. They could see God's glory, but only secondhand through Moses and his his shining face. But now, under the new covenant, we all, with our faces unveiled, we are all permitted to behold the glory of God. We we all have access to come into God's presence to behold his glory. Well, how do we do that? How do we behold the glory of the Lord? Well, we see God's glory in, in many places. Um, in creation, for example, uh, we went for a, a walk this afternoon up onto the up onto the hill. The beautiful views, the the scenery around us, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. But chiefly, we see the glory of God by looking at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. 
into the next chapter, uh, chapter four, verse six. Uh, God, uh, Paul says there, God has, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God far more clearly than Moses ever did by looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is not a, a single one time event. The word uh, beholding there, the way it's, uh, Paul has written it, it implies a, an ongoing process. We need to see Jesus continually, day by day. As we, as we study God's word, we need to be looking for Jesus. We need to study our Savior's life, his teaching, his character, his commands. We see Jesus on, on every page of the Bible. We see him most clearly in the Gospels. We, we should know the Gospels inside out. We should be going to them again and again, looking for the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But what's the impact of this? It's transformation. Because as well as meaning uh, to, to look at, the word that's uh, translated beholding there, it also uh, carries the idea, it can carry the idea of, of reflecting um, like in a, in a mirror, uh, some Bible versions actually uh, go for that option as, as a translation and, and say, uh, actually say, reflecting the glory of the Lord rather than beholding the glory of the Lord. So just as, as Moses' face shone with the, the reflected glory of God after he had been in God's presence, after he had seen God's glory face to face, well, so too we are to reflect the glory of God. Well, how can we reflect the glory of God? Well, remember, we, we see God's glory most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. So we reflect God's glory now by, by being transformed into the same image, by becoming more and more like Jesus. But unlike Moses, who had to, to put a veil over his face to hide the fact that, that his glory was fading, the glory, the, the image of God that's reflected in us, will never fade. Rather, as, as we continue to behold God's glory, as we continue to, to increase in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, as we come to, to know him better, to imitate him more closely, as we are increasingly transformed into his image, well, God's glory will, will shine brighter and brighter from us, from, from one degree of glory to another. It's literally from glory to more glory. And so that's, that's our, our goal, our aim in this world. That's the purpose for which we have been saved to unveil our faces so that people can see the glory of God shining from us. And we do that by becoming as much like the Lord Jesus Christ as we, as we possibly can, by being transformed into his image. But we know that one day, one day the transformation will be complete. The uh, verses that we read to open our service tonight from 1 John and chapter 3. Uh, John says there, 
We know that when he appears, when the Lord Jesus Christ appears again, well, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. But until then, we we press on. We must make every effort. John says everyone who thus hopes in him, everyone who is who is waiting expectantly for the appearance of Christ. Well, we must purify ourselves as he is pure. So that's our our third impact. It's transformation being transformed into the image of God, uh, into the image of the Lord Jesus, so that the glory of God shines brighter and brighter uh, from us. Well, then we'll close very briefly then with our fourth and our final impact. It's one we've we've had before. Uh, We saw it again this this morning and, and again this evening. You may have noticed in our in our reading, I read on um, into chapter four and and verse one. Uh, Chapter four begins, therefore. So um, having said all this, um, there's a there's a consequence of all of this as a result of all that Paul has been saying to us in chapter three. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So let's not worry at what the world thinks, what society has decided is important. Let's not worry about trying to be popular, trying to be fashionable. Let's not be tempted to compromise our message just because someone out there might not like it. Let's have confidence, boldness in the message of the gospel, in the power of the gospel, the power to save souls the power to change lives and then as we struggle as we struggle with with remaining sin as we uh, as we battle temptation as we do try and, and swim against the tide in a, a society whose whose morals whose standards are, are increasingly moving away from from God's standards well let's remember just how privileged we are to have had the veil removed from our hearts to have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that has never stopped looking for opportunities to see him, to see Jesus. Let us never stop striving to become more like him, to be increasingly transformed into his image so that the glory of God may be seen more clearly, more brightly, more boldly in our lives. So let's thank God that this this new covenant, the new covenant that he'd he'd promised to make is here. Thank God that he he has fulfilled um, all of those uh, those promises uh, to make this new covenant with his people. Let's thank God the new covenant is here. Let's remember the the master that we served, his his glory, his majesty, his power. And let's remember the power of the message that we proclaim the power to to save souls, to change lives. And since we have such a hope, let us be very bold. Let us not lose heart. Well, may it be so uh, for each one of us. Amen.